Now, the Wealth Protection Diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating. Her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. About 6,000 years ago, an indigenous people living in the Amazon discovered that using charcoal could transform poor quality soils into terra preta, which means high quality soils. They created a culture called slash and char agriculture. They cut down parts of the forest for farmland, but instead of burning off the trees, they would smolder it and make char out of it. These people then incorporated the char into the soil along with other natural fertilizers such as manure. There are hundreds of thousands of acres of these terra preta soils in the Amazon. This Amazonian population died out about 600 years ago. However, centuries later, those man-made soils are the prized horticultural and agricultural soils because they are much more forgiving and robust. Many other cultures around the world, such as the Japanese, have a long history of using charcoal as a soil amendment, primarily in horticulture, for growing gardens and potted plants. If you are a master gardener, farmer, hydrologist, arborist, forester, urban planner, or just interested in the environmental benefits of specialty carbon, then you should stay tuned today because today we are going to learn about biochar. This awesome process is converting black into the new green. My expert guest today is Dusty Mahler, the Wood Utilization Manager at the University of Nevada, Reno. Dusty is a forest industry utilization and marketing specialist currently working for the Nevada Small Business Development Center's Business Environmental Program. In this capacity, Mahler develops, transfers, and implements forest products technology, especially oriented to the use of forest biomass and small diameter trees. He brings more than 42 years of total enterprise experience assisting community-based entrepreneurs as they build their restoration forestry businesses. Dusty, welcome. Well, thank you, Sherry. So, as I was introduced to you, and the subject today is biochar, uh, it was all new to me, so why don't we educate our listeners and talk about just exactly what that is. Well, Cherry, I heard your uh, intro, and you're, you're just dead on about terra preta. Um, how it got from terra preta to biochar is an interesting trip, but basically char is produced uh, by burning wood in the absence of a lot of oxygen, and it forms a charcoal. It's uh, usually in the range of 80%, 70 to 80% organic carbon, and it makes for a terrific soil amendment. You can add it to soil, and its key properties then take over. That would be uh, moisture efficiency increases, germination increases, and um, and those kinds of things that, that we that we need in our um, ag ag 
projects. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in doing all of my research, of course, there's always all the pro for biochar, which is an emerging industry, and and certainly. Obviously, it's not a new trend if it's been around for about 6,000 years, but new to us. And, you know, the flip side, according to the Permaculture Research Institute, states that turning bioenergy crops into buried charcoal to sequester carbon does not work and could plunge the earth into an oxygen crisis towards mass extinction. Sounds like they're haters. The body of, of research that got started at Cornell University when Johannes Lehmann um, went down to the Amazon to do, a, to do an inspection, and the work now conducted by um, the USDA Agricultural Research Service, our own Desert Research Institute, uh, colleges and universities throughout the United States, would probably tend to give you another picture of what char really can do. And, and yes, it sequesters carbon, but that's not the main interest in the United States. The main interest here is to make our land more growable. Right. And so understanding that biochar, as it's now called, and I know you guys just had a big conference on this A lot of educated individuals came, and I know that people that are in farming, people that are in forestry, all these different things are now looking at biochar and its benefits. So why don't you give us a little taste of what did you guys talk about, what was discovered, and why should I, as a consumer out here, care? Let's just take a look at one of the reports. given by David Howlett. He's a biomass specialist with Nevada Division of Forestry, but he's also one of his other hats he wears. He's an urban forester. He's currently doing a research project in uh, well, the towns of Henderson and Reno, among others, researching the benefit of using biochar as an amendment for urban trees. Uh, they did a study here in Clark County, and about 30% of the trees here due to stress from the drought, are very sick and, and uh, perhaps might die. When you look at the value of the urban canopy in terms of keeping streets cooler, uh, making uh, shopping malls more attractive, um, that's, that's a worthwhile uh, uh, project. So David reported that uh, he had received a $300,000 grant from a, from a, a federal group and to, to complete that study. So Desert Research Institute is uh, providing some of the scientists to help him out. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show, and I have guest Dusty Mahler, who works for the Nevada Small Business Development Center's Business Environmental Program. And we're talking about a subject that is, frankly, brand new to me, which is biochar. And Dusty, you know, that's a, that's a great point because as our communities are trying to rebuild their downtown cores and certainly we're an agricultural state, part of our mission here is to educate people about the significance of biochar and what's it going to do for them. The comment I made about the urban area also applies to the rural area, and and you're right. Agriculture is big industry in Nevada. Maybe not necessarily in downtown Las Vegas, but take the case of the report on uh, Eureka County. 
uh, Eureka County is about 50% oversubscribed in water rights. And, and basically, in order to, to, to get back to reality with the available groundwater that's being pumped, uh, farmers may have to take down every other pivot circle that they have been operating. So if, if, if you look at the value of that land after the water is cut off, it's, it's not worth very much. So we've received grants from the uh, uh, National Conservation Research Service um, uh, Conservation Innovation Grant Program to study the effects of using biochar in a pivot circle to see if we can grow a forage crop using less water. And that research is, ongo is ongoing now. Um, other other places, um, biochar is shown to have improvement in both yield and quality of the crop. So we're starting to do some studies in, in, in uh, throughout the United States in seeing the effect of using biochar in such crops like hay. Nevada's got a tremendous hay crop, but it's also got a tremendous demand for hay. Uh, they recently built a, a new milk processing factory in Fallon, which is going to require tripling the size of the herds that supply that that uh, 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 plant with the whole milk. Interesting comment. Most of that whole milk will be exported to China. Right, because they're turning it into powdered milk, I believe. But That's right, Sherry. But they're about 10,000 cows short for, <laughs> for full production. So anyone that wants to, you know, come into and start or take over a dairy, there's opportunity there. But again, we're short on the cows, and the whole reason is because we're short on water. And, and Dusty, as, you know, as we're moving into really, I would say this is what, like our fourth year of serious no water um, I mean, there has to be alternatives, and you know, this is part of why we're doing this show today is to really educate people that not just for what's already existing, but perhaps um, opportunities in this industry and all the different ways that it can be used. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. It's really fascinating to me because, well, here's another great example. I was at Yosemite last year, and you look at the, you know, the floor of the forest, and it's, you know, two feet thick of old pine needles and dead trees, and I mean, it really needs to be cleaned out. And so, is this is this an um, an opportunity to really manage and and work our forests better? That's an excellent point. Take the U.S. Forest Service. They're responsible for, oh, about 200 million acres. And uh, right now our, uh, our, our environmental situation has caused a kind of a stalemate on those forests. And, and we're really not harvesting and, and taking care of our national forest as we should. Um, they did a 1 billion ton study. It's been published and republished a couple of times. But the biomass uh, that's available on the national forest land could make an awful lot of char and make an, a, a tremendous difference in how we farm. Uh, if, if you look at the use of uh, chemical fertilizers, ammonia nitrate, for example, um, we're using way, way too much of that product to grow crops. If, if we went back to a more natural uh, method, uh, like composting, and if you look at the Fallon example we just talked about, 
uh, with 10,000 more cows, you're going to get 10,000 more Mm, I don't know how to politely <laughs> say this on the radio. You're going to get a lot piles more of yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and you take that that biomass and you mix it with char and you compost it and you put the compost out on the ground instead of uh, chemical fertilizers. The pH of the soil will will thank you very much. At um, a good example of a, a farm, a farming community that does that is the Bentley Corporation up in the Carson Valley. Uh, talk to those folks about how they use compost. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll tell you that it's a it's been a godsend for them because a they've been short of water, but b they've been able to grow better and and get a, a better yield by using compost. All right. Well, we've got to go to break. We come back. We're gonna pick up some more on this conversation related to biochar. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is Jen Kelly from MayanTreasure.org in Guatemala. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she takes the time to really listen and understand. Sherry Hill is uplifting and inspiring. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Next week on The Sherry Hill Show, my guest is Jim Rogers, the immediate past council president of the Nevada Area Council of Boy Scouts of America. His day job is serving as the president and CEO of Campgrounds of America, which, with nearly 475 campgrounds, is the largest network of franchise family campgrounds in the world. I came out of the University of California, Berkeley, back in the 70s, and uh, I was uh, pretty much a rah-rah. And at that time at Cal, every day the school was getting burned down, and we had the Blue Meanies coming in from the Oakland Police Department. But I wanted to get into the camping business, and I sent a resume off to a place in Billings, Montana, called Campgrounds of America. And uh, they decided to fly me up to Billings and interview me. And they told me later the only reason they flew me up is they didn't believe there was an Eagle Scout at Cal Berkeley. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, my, my scouting career has had a, a long legs in terms of uh, linking me to the hospitality business. Hi, this is Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver and author of Adversaries into Allies. And you're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Welcome back to The Sherry Hill Show doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. While no meteorologist or agronomist can accurately predict which years will be dry years, scientists and farmers can now take steps to protect themselves against plant dehydration during a drought. Biochar, a substance known for its ability to retain water and enrich soil fertility, is on the mind of researchers in both industrialized and developing countries where soil loss and degradation is occurring at unprecedented rates with profound consequences for soil ecosystem properties. My guest, Dusty Mahler, is the Wood Utilization Manager at the University of Nevada, Reno, currently working for the Nevada Small Business Development Center's Business Environmental Program. Dusty, 
Talk about how biochar can be an important tool to increase food security and cropland diversity in areas with severely depleted soils, scarce organic resources, and inadequate water and chemical fertilizer supplies. Food security, that's one of my favorite topics right now. We earlier in, the, in, the, in this chat talked about Fallon and the milk processing plant there and the fact that most of the output of that powdered milk, powdered whole milk, will be going to China. Um, China has about 22% of the world's population, but only 7% of the arable land. And China is very food dependent on the United States. But they realize that in order to... Uh, in order to, to continue to feed their growing population, they need to make sure that they have uh, access to food supplies. Um, we really need to focus on, on how, to, how to use biochar to make sure that we can guarantee that, that we can continue to export food and feed folks. Uh, if you look at some population estimates, uh, by the year 2050, there'll be another billion and a half people on the uh, uh, on this earth wow um how are they going to get fed and desertification which is converting farmlands to desert lands due to drought and other conditions uh continue and that's why there's that's why my interest is uh, trying to uh, see which kind of methods which kind of changes we have to make to american agriculture to be continued to be able to feed our own folks plus so support the uh, other folks that that need our export uh, agricultural products. Well, and it happened to be right after I met you that I was watching some program on television, one of the, you know, Discovery Channels or, you know, something along those lines, and it was actually talking to a lot of farmers around the country. And, of course, water, the precious resource that it is, uh, certainly in the West, we're feeling it severely because we're just not getting the snow and the rain. But, you know, there's a huge push, pushback, I would say, between, you know, who, who owns the water, who um, regulates the water, and the farmer who needs the water to grow the crops. And so we're, we're at this almost tipping point of a real massive problem, not just to feed uh, the United States, but certainly the rest of the world as well. And so what what can you share about that? Because biochar is, you know, an emerging solution for how we can use less water, right? Yeah, that's, uh, Sherry, this is an excellent talk. I I'm inspired. Um, let, let's take an aquifer that 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 we really that we know that's that's pretty much in trouble, and that's the Ogallala Aquifer that underlies parts of Nebraska and Oklahoma. And that aquifer was was created by glaciers, and and that that water that's being pumped uh, isn't replenished like some other aquifers are. Um, some of the rivers that drain that area are, are below. Uh, that uh, the uh, altitude, the elevation of that aquifer. So when they do get groundwater, it goes into the river and not down into the aquifer. Uh, I, I wasn't around in the Dust Bowl era, but uh, some uh, uh, meteorologists are forecasting Dust Bowl conditions if we continue to overpump those aquifers. Uh, Hatch, New Mexico. Uh, everyone loves Hatch chilies. Their water table has dropped 20 feet in the last 10 years, and. If you continue to pump the groundwater, pretty soon you won't have that. So you have to start, whoa, 
we've got to we got to figure out a different way to do things. Right. Well, and I would also say that you know there's a huge push for a lot of us to go back to somewhat our original roots of, you know, know where your food's coming from, potentially grow your own food without all these heavy fertilizers and all the big past few years, no GMO, all these chemical reproductions of food. So I think more and more people are interested in in supporting and helping our local farmers, our local gardeners, to really produce some awesome stuff. We can talk about the bigger industries, and we will, who's using biochar, but if I'm a home gardener, then I know that I should be able to go to my local nursery and buy a bag of biochar, should I not? I would suggest that you go to a nursery, not that I'm plugging this, I'm going to go to Star Nursery and ask them for some biochar amended growth mediums, planting soils. See, biochar itself is, is not a fertilizer. It's, it's organic carbon, and it looks like a sponge. And so you put that in your, in your rose garden, better make sure you'd better put some additional compost or fertilizer with it because that charcoal will suck up those nutrients and they'll suck up water. That can be a first-year first bad thing, but then that water and those nutrients become plant available further on in the growing season. That's, a, that's how char works. So I, I wouldn't rush into it before I did a little bit of research and, and, and talk to people who know about how to use char in your gardening situation. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Guest, Dusty Mahler, who works for the Nevada Small Business Development Center's Business Environmental Program and who is basically educating myself and others who are listening about this. I don't want to call it a new phenomenon because it's been around for 6,000 years regarding how we can start to really utilize the biomass, as I explained, you know, sitting on the floors of every national forest or pine needles and pine boughs and all these tree trunks and stuff that are just massive fire hazard. Dusty, what do you see? Because you're, you're in the forest business. I mean, that's what your background is out of. And believe it or not, I wanted to be a forest ranger at one point. So I spent a lot of time in the forest and really trying to understand how they revitalize themselves and what we as human beings have done to dissuade some of that. But from your perspective, how important is it for us to really capitalize on all this mass that's not being utilized? Well, I think it's extremely important. The, the Forest Service, the U.S. Forest Service, currently has hazardous food reduction and healthy forest plans in operation. Part of the research, though, as you mentioned, your Yosemite situation, uh, we can't take all of the biomat out of the forest. And uh, U.S. forest scientists, forest industry scientists, are studying to determine just how much of that duff or, or pine needles you can remove because there is a natural process of those pine needles uh, turning in, uh, composting themselves naturally. We don't want to just say we're going to go out and clear-cut the forest because we don't clear-cut forests anymore. We do have to do it responsibly, and that's why that's why we're so, here in Nevada. We're so interested in the scientific approaches that the various groups, Desert Research Institute, Nevada Division of Forestry, the Pinion Juniper Partnership, NRCS, among others, 
are studying just how to con- how to grow this industry. The word biochar has only been seen in the literature for about the last 15 years. It's been around for thousands of years. Here in the United States, we're studying it as biochar. And Japan's another food-dependent country. They only supply 40% of their food. They only have 5% of their energy. So this is all kind of a balanced situation, but we're trying to find the happy spot here. As more and more countries are recognizing the value of how they can use this, I'm guessing, and that's why you guys just held a big conference in Minden with all these scientists and people who are really looking at the advancements and certainly the uses for, especially in the drought-ridden West where water has become the fight anymore. And we're reaching this tipping point because if farmers can't farm, they're going to go away and not farm at all. And then the whole planet is in a problem because we just don't have the food production. You're right about citizens becoming knowledgeable about food and food supplies. One example that I talk about is economists say that Americans only spend about 16% of their disposable income on food. If that's how little our food costs, we seem to be okay. What we don't realize is that we front end load that with subsidies to farmers. Uh, Last year, for example, the subsidy to rice farmers I don't know if anyone knew how much rice we grow in the United States. We grow and export a lot. The subsidy to those farmers was over a billion dollars. Where does that money come from when when the USDA sends a a price support check to a rice farmer? Well, that's exactly what they do. They write a check, and that check comes from Federal Treasury, which is currently $17 trillion in debt. When, When you understand how all this works, you'll say, wait a minute, we are in trouble. We're going to continue this conversation about a topic new and dear to my heart called biochar. This is Colleen DeLong from the Education Alliance of Washoe County. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she cares, she's intelligent, and she's got a fantastic personality. Sherry Hill is incredible. Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best-selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International. If you love to camp and you like to eat s'mores like I do, then join me next week for special guest Jim Rogers, who is the past president for the Boy Scouts and also head of KOA, Campgrounds of America. There's a lot of distractions for youth today, whether their parents are putting them in violin lessons or they're playing soccer or Little League baseball. 
And so it's kind of a competition to try to get the attention of youth. Many of your listeners probably don't even realize scouting is still around. We'll get an we'll inquiry every so often. Do scouts still exist? <laughs> and, I, and I love the word scouting because as you did in your previous show, I think scouting you know, applies to both boys and girls. You have certainly two great programs. And I believe if you invest in scouting, whether volunteering, putting your child in it, contributing financially and coming out for a weekend and helping support it, that you are going to have an impact locally. This is Howard Olson from On Strategy. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she is a continual learner. Sherry Hill has a unique understanding of the business world and can describe it succinctly. Welcome back to The Sherry Hill Show doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Biochar is much too valuable for it to be just worked into the soil without having it used at least once for more beneficial purposes. Whether a storage for volatile nutrients, as an absorber in functional clothing, as insulation in the building industry, as energy storage in batteries, as a filter in a sewage plant, as a silage agent, or as a feed supplement. There are so many possible uses of biochar that its potential for many uses are now just being realized. In the medium term, biochar will or must replace oil as the main raw material of our industrial society insofar as mankind is willing to maintain living conditions on the planet in the long term. Biochar is seemingly well positioned for success. The world needs improved soils and better use of fertilizers to provide sufficient food in the future. It must also reduce atmospheric greenhouse gases to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. Biochar can positively impact these global challenges and, politics aside, these needs are even immediate. Biochar's environmental credentials are exemplary, and it has even been touted as a geoengineering solution. Today, I have Dusty Mahler, who is the Wood Utilization Manager for the Nevada Small Business Development Center, University of Nevada, Reno. He brings a wealth of experience and information from the lumber industry, including tours as an industrial engineer for Weyerhaeuser, Plum Creek, and Bohemia Lumber Companies. So, Dusty, we've talked a lot in this show about certainly the agricultural side of biochar, but let's talk about the diversity of uses, which can range from cosmetics to textiles to wastewater treatment. Sherry, I've even seen biochar toothpaste. Let me give you an an example how uh, we're currently using uh, biochar as a filter medium. If you look at rain gardens, for example... Their plantings could be flowers or grass in areas that receive uh, a lot of water runoff from, say, uh, parking lots or or shopping malls or, or highways, and that runoff is directed to a rain garden. That rain garden has a thick layer of biochar underlying the grasses or flowers as the ground, as the rainwater seeps into that rain garden goes through that char and then then down into your groundwater source, the impurities, the oils and the heavy metals that are associated with those areas are absorbed by the char, stay out of the water. There's currently a rain garden study 
ongoing up in Lake Tahoe. Can you imagine, can you imagine if all of that r water runoff from the subdivisions and from the streets went through a rain garden prior to the lake, how clear that lake would be? Yes, awesome. Think about any yeah. lake, right? It's rural because we're talking about agriculture, but it can also be urban. Can you imagine if all of the golf courses in Las Vegas, all of the golf courses in Clark County had biochar as a horizon in their soil band? What that would do to create somewhere between 10 to 20% more water efficiency for that golf course mm -hmm. and have better green and, and use less fertilizer because of the properties of biochar to increase the plant's ability to grow. Well, that would be that's awesome. a lot of water. Yeah, that's a lot of water. But I also look at, you know, a lot of these under, other industries. And so where are we really... Uh, let's just talk about the United States, because certainly, you know, this is a global concept. Are these industries like golf courses, like heavy water user industries, are these people tapped into these studies and, and trying to understand this? Or is are you guys still on the path of huge education to introduce a lot of these heavy water usage industries to biochar? I guess it depends on what part of the United States you're living in. If, if you're in California right now, it's, it's against the law to bury biomass. You cannot simply take your, your uh, urban wood waste, which, by the way, Clark uh, generates a whole lot of that, but you, you simply can't take that and put it to a landfill. You have to find some repurpose for it. It's either going to be recycled as, as compost or mulch, or now they're they're even generating they're starting to really generate char in, in California, so um, it, it, again, like I said, it depends on where you live. But uh, uh, early on, we talked about how much research was ongoing and how many different demonstrations there are throughout. Uh, well, we're doing one in uh, Utah. Uh, I'm part of the Utah Biomass Resource Group, and uh, we're in uh, Vernal, uh, Utah, doing a a gas had reclamation project where we are using biochar to help claim lands uh, that had been disturbed by the oh, by the gas drilling operation. Um, maybe doesn't sound like a big opportunity, but there are 34,000 gas wells in the state of Utah right now alone, and all 34,000 of those sites need to be reclaimed. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then, and then we look at the when you look at the mining industry in Nevada, uh, we have a project going on uh, at the Ruby Hill mine uh, outside of uh, Eureka, uh, where we're using the call mesocosms or raised bed gardens to study the effect of using biochar in reclaiming mine tailings and mine spoil sites. And that's that's why uh, I mentioned early on Eureka. Uh, uh, they've been really, really helpful up there. The uh, county commissions, uh, uh, Jake Tibbetts, the the resource manager up there, uh, and and that's where we got our funding to to do that study on mine reclamation. Mm -hmm. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to the Sherry Hill Show, and I have guest Dusty Mahler, who is the environmental program guy for the Nevada Small Business Development Center and certainly involved in a lot of different studies throughout the West. But 
interestingly enough, I mean, I was reading, you know, as I'm doing my research for this subject, because I'd never heard of it until I met you, uh, you know, a young guy in Hawaii who was a landscape, he had a landscape business, and he started to really understand the, the profound effects of biochar and all his landscape stuff, so he, he realized he was going to make more money, and he started an entire business around creating this organic uh, you know, bags of stuff you could buy in your local nursery, but really trying to change the kind of landscape business to go that we don't have to keep pumping these artificial fertilizers and all this stuff into our our close-knit environments when we can use something that obviously has been here laying around, and it, it appears... Um, that there is some great opportunity for, you know, folks that, that want to study this and be part of this and, and maybe uh, some emerging businesses. What do you think? Well, well, I, I agree. It, and, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why uh, my program was started uh, at UNR and assigned to a division of the College of Business uh, with the Small Business Development Center. There's very little wood industry infrastructure in the state of Nevada. We we just simply we simply don't have sawmills here. Um, and then uh, what we needed to do is is figure out who would probably be, be the best people to get started. Who would have a background? And arborists and landscapers. And there are plenty of those in the state of Nevada. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do outreach programs to show the benefits. Of, of converting biomass to biochar. Um, I mentioned Clark County. Uh, early on, we did a, an assessment to try to determine just how much woody biomass Clark County was developing. And, and, and our, our research led us to understand that each year, uh, Clark County was creating four, at least 400,000 tons of biomass. The problem is, we were trucking at 30 miles north and burying it in the apex landfill. Um, first, the very first thing this program did, the wood utilization program did, is is uh, collaborate with uh, the Moapa Band of the Paiutes at, out in Moapa and uh, get them equipment to develop a, a biomass recovery facility, uh, grinders, uh, trucks, uh, scales, and uh, they launched a, 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 bio, a biomass production facility, which then they could turn it into compost and mulch, and they're, uh, they've been active doing that for the last five years. So it created an industry that they could convert to cash, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Gave them income. That's nice. And yeah, it just—it's really interesting to me because what I'm understanding when you look at what is kind of the end result of this, it's—it's really a filter, right? I mean, that's—that's kind of what I'm perceiving that you know, if we're running water through it and we're running all this stuff through it, and it's helping our soil, it's—it's like a natural filter. Well, yeah, that's that's well, that's just one of its uses in its filter role. You've heard of activated uh, carbon, and and that's and you can activate biochar because it is organic carbon, and and then by activating it, it, it 
chemically it, it takes on a positive charge and it acts as an attractant and, and then it, it will attract uh, heavy metals of zinc and, and copper and the like and, and so that's, that's the filtering properties. Uh, when it uh, absorbs those materials, uh, like when it absorbs uh, nutrients and, and uh, they become plant available and in the, in the growing of the plant, the plant basically puts its root into the uh, into the into the holes that have absorbed this water and nutrient. That's how it works. Hmm. It's called the cation exchange capacity of of carbon. Wow. To be technical, of course. Yes, I my head hurts. It's very technical, <laughs> and I feel very that. scientific to today. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, so when I think about it, and it's like, oh, you can, they're going to start. They're using it in cosmetics and stuff. I'm wondering what is it going to do to my face. But we'll come back to that. <laughs> Stick with us. This is Dr. Tom Schwank from the University of Nevada School of Medicine. You're listening to the Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she highlights the exciting people and programs in Northern Nevada. Sherry Hill is awesome. Why should you do business with Sage International Incorporated instead of filing a corporation or LLC on your own? Or worse, using one of those $99 plus state fee sites? Well, first, you actually get to talk with someone who is going to work directly with you to develop a business strategy that is tailored specifically to the business you want to start. Second, unless you know what questions to ask, how do you know if the entity you choose will actually do everything you think it should? Like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Do you like s'mores? Well, next week, my guest, Jim Rogers, is the head of KOA, and we're going to be talking about Boy Scouts and camping next week on The Sherry Hill Show. You're wearing your very cool scout uniform. Looks good on here, doesn't it? it? Does. You guys all it see this? Great. Look at me. Wow, I look great on the radio. Next week, I'm talking to Jim Rogers, president and CEO of KOA, Campgrounds of America, right here on the Sherry Hill Show. This is Dusty Muller from Las Vegas, Nevada. You are listening to the Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she can help the nascent biochar industry make a big difference here in Nevada. Sherry Hill is truly a breath of fresh air. Welcome back to the Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Today, Approximately 150 companies, mostly small garden supply and specialty retailers, sell biochar worldwide. Biochar is charred biomass, which is added to soil to improve soil health and soil quality. A 2013 report by the International Biochar Initiative provided a snapshot of the current state of the biochar economy. IBI conducts biochar field work on six continents and provides free information to producers, gardeners, and researchers. The report relied on survey data from 43 biochar companies along with other anecdotal and commercial information. 
The report found that a majority of the global market share comes from the U.S., 65%, followed by Europe, 25%, Asia, 7%, and Africa, 3%. 90% of commercial activity is focused on small, specialty retail markets, mostly nursery and garden centers. A small percentage, 10%, is focused on larger-scale markets such as agriculture or land remediation projects. It has been reported that Japan has a growing commercial biochar industry with approximately 15,000 tons traded annually. There are emerging opportunities, but overall the market is in its infancy, production is limited, and cost is at a premium. My guest, Dusty Mahler, is a forest industry utilization and marketing specialist currently working for the Nevada Small Business Development Center's Business Environmental Program. In this capacity, Dusty develops, transfers, and implements forest products technology, especially oriented to the use of forest biomass and small diameter trees. So, Dusty, let's talk about this emerging market and... Again, it seems so common sense and logical, but obviously, you know, is it it costs a lot to deal with? I mean, what, I can't just run out in my backyard and burn stuff. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, not only, not yeah, yes, you can, and and that's part of the that's part of the interesting phenomena. There's a lot of backyard bio biocharists. And if you look up, if you Google for Contiki Kiln, K-O-N space T-I-K-I Kiln, you'll discover that a lady in the state of Oregon is pushing that so that people that have biomass from their trees and gardens can make their own biochar. You mentioned the International Biochar Initiative. Uh, They have a website, uh, ibi.org. A recent study was published that talked about the downward fall of the price of biochar. Four years ago, a lady did a survey on the price of biochar, and by golly, it was $1.67 a pound. This was uh, studying some of those worldwide, uh, uh, some of that worldwide data you mentioned. I recently started a project over in Utah, and um, I had to pay $0.25 cents a pound for biochar. So as the industry develops, the price will go down. Uh, information will be flowing. We'll get this industry up on its feet. Right now, I think we're just really close to what we call critical mass. We're, we're just about to get a big industry, a big business to start to, to investigate using different kinds of processes to generate perhaps uh, synth- synthetic gas or oil with biochar as a byproduct. Hmm. And that will help drive the price down some more. Well, since this show is really about business and, you know, what what is emerging as industries, if I was someone that was listening to this and going, wow, that really fascinates me, is there opportunity for me? I mean, do I need to go get a degree in biochar or how am I, how can I get involved? Well, the first thing I would do is I would Google or do the research, the same kind of research that you've done uh, to get the background you have now and find out what kind of uh, resource that you have access to. For example, here in Clark County, could you have access to the uh, uh, grass 
clippings and palm fronds from our golf courses. And if you could access that raw material, then you could create biochar. So, so companies like some of the, um, like take A1 Organics, for example, or R3, some of those landscapers, those are the people that should be looking at char because they have the raw material in the trucks. And instead of taking it to a landfill, they can definitely take it to a char factory. Right, because I follow, you know, every time I've gone to the dump, I follow, you see their big landscape guys, and they're just, truck beds are loaded with all of that tree branches and grass clippings and all of this, and if they knew they could go buy a kiln from this gal in Oregon and convert it back into the landscape that they're working on, it would solve a lot. Yeah, you have touched on another topic near and, de- near and dear to my heart. It's the symbiotic relationship between the raw material supply and the end-use product. They fit hand in glove. Like the, the example up in Tahoe, the biomass that comes off of the wooey, and that's wild, wildland urban interface. It's where the forest meets the town. That biomass could act as a filter for the lake water and improve the, the lives and livelihood of the folks in and around Tahoe. You know, it's kind of like a kumbaya situation. And certainly one that makes total sense. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with special guest, Dusty Mahler, who is the head of the Business Environmental Program for the Nevada Small Business Development Center. And we, of course, have been talking about biochar. So, Dusty, you're right. The symbiotic relationship. This is one of those that is total common sense to me. Can sagebrush be converted to biochar? Basically, anything that grew or anything that came off of or out of something that grew contains carbon and can be turned into biochar. Well, the reason I ask is because you look at our state, and I'm not talking about going out and ripping out the you know sagebrush that's growing, but anytime you drive down 395 from north to south, tumbleweeds, right? We have tons and tons of tumbleweeds, and somebody could run out and collect all those. They could. <laughs> I mean, you could have a tumbleweed harvest, you know. <laughs> you, you, you could actually do that. No, you, you do bring you bring something to the table that you have to talk about. You simply can't go out and just gather anything growing without first examining, if I remove this biomass from this environment, will I hurt the donor? All right? And, and so that's some research that's being done right now as we speak by the U.S. Forest Service trying to figure out, if we remove the biomass, say those pine needles that you had it down at Yosemite, uh, what will the results be? And that's, that's one of the reasons why it's taking uh, biochar so long to get going is we have to follow the science. We, we do not want to create a problem. We want to solve many of them. And that's why we're going a little bit slow on this. Well, that makes sense because that is part of the natural environment. And if you totally remove it and go, well, we're going to use, repurpose it, then how does it affect the forest and the runoff and end up in Death Valley down there at Badwater, lowest point in the U.S., right? Right. Well, (laughs) and again, social license is extremely important because it's the citizenry that will allow us after we make the case that we can create this char and help the environment, not hinder the environment. The people that do that are the people that vote. And that's important because here in Nevada, with federal land ownership as high as it is, we need favorable government policy 
to help us to get the funding. The BLM in, in the Ely District, for example, can only treat 10,000 acres a year. They have 9 million acres of pinyon and juniper forest, and we can only treat 10,000 a year. It definitely needs to be looked at. Yeah. Uh, we need more funding, and we need to show that biochar will have a, a positive effect on reforestation and a positive effect on the environment. Yeah. So if somebody, Dusty, wanted to learn more about this, like you said, they can go out and Google. And of course, there's the International Biochar Initiative. Is there something going on in your business environmental program where you have these little conferences and stuff? Where would you like them to go? On the business environmental program website, BEP at at UNR, uh, they can contact me, dmoller at unr.edu. And then we'll just Send them out down the path. Give them the uh, leads. Give them the information and tell them where to go find more. There'll be more conferences. Of course, there's, again, you mentioned IBI. There's also a U.S. biochar initiative that's available. And there's also research at Desert Research Institute in Reno. That's a lot. Four four or five good sources. (laughs) Yeah, but thank you for sharing today. And and certainly if I'm someone who deals with the earth, so as a landscape business or I'm guessing, you know, anyone that utilizes a whole bunch of water, manufacturing or whatever, this is something to certainly look at. Definitely. City planners that need to filter water, gardeners, arborists, landscapers, farmers. I think we just named about everybody, didn't we? That's right. It's important, and it's an emerging industry. I do understand the importance to get it right so that we're not hurting the environment, but we're certainly helping the environment. And so anyone that wants to learn more, definitely do your research out there. It was a lot of fun, and I learned a ton. And of course, anything that is new to me with the potential for business to tap into, that excites me. Thank you, Dusty, for being here. Oh, yes, ma'am. It's been my pleasure. We'll catch up again soon. And as you say, biochar is... Yeah, biochar. Black is the new green. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll call it good and catch up next week. Bye-bye. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time, same station for the Sherry Hill Show. Why should you do business with Sage International Incorporated instead of filing a corporation or LLC on your own? Or worse, using one of those $99 plus state fee sites? Well, first, you actually get to talk with someone who is going to work directly with you to develop a business strategy that is tailored specifically to the business you want to start. Second, unless you know what questions to ask, how do you know if the entity you choose will actually do everything you think it should? Like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com.
This is Peter Padilla, your host on Nevada Real Estate Radio. Are you looking for great values on a real estate or mortgage transaction? Listen to our show, Nevada Real Estate Radio. Deal with professionals that you know, like, and trust. Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m., KLAV, 1230 a.m., the talk of Las Vegas.